Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. There's a backstory weaved into each book. To explore the creative process, I'm sitting down with authors, writers, editors, publishers, and an array of creative souls to have a conversation centered on how they develop their stories to completing their works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. Paul Attaway is the author of the best-selling thriller, Blood in the Low Country. He recently retired from a 30-year career as a small business entrepreneur and is currently working on his second novel. Paul, thank you for joining me in the virtual pen to paper studio. I am glad to have you here. Oh, well, thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. You are very, very welcome. When I went to your website, the first phrase that caught my attention was Southern Storyteller. I'd like to explore that. What does it mean to be a Southern Storyteller? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, I have done some reading on the subject of what constitutes Southern fiction and what it means to be a Southerner other than simply being born here. And the good news is there's no one answer, which means you can have lively conversations about it. Um, Recently, a friend asked me what it meant. I said, well, it means college football, barbecue and good music. Um, That could be Southern culture today. But a Southern storyteller, I believe at the end of the day, there are a couple of um, common themes that weave through it, um, and family is a big part of it. That's not to say that family is not important, you know, in all four corners of our country, but um, family in the South, it seems as if people don't necessarily leave leave and travel across the country quite so much. It seems as if you're more likely to be living within a short drive of your extended family and not just cousins, but vertically in both directions. Um, and the, 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 the rituals um, that have bound these families together haven't necessarily died out um, and they have deep roots, and those would be everything from, you know, um, the team you root for, the church you attend, the church you don't attend anymore, um, family dinners, and you know, an agrarian background as well. So um, it, it's it's um, you know, and you know, there's the the old joke, um, you know, when people say with all due respect, you know, there is a politeness here, but there's also a bluntness to um to a lot of living in the south so there's no one answer to it but it's almost like you kind of know it when you see it uh good southern good southern fiction good southern literature well i live in the north and um the last handful of years i i've been living uh the nomadic lifestyle and in the winter months i go to the south most of the time has been spent in Texas, New Mexico, but I've also spent time in, in North Carolina. And it's interesting, the personality differences that I've encountered, the, ver- the North versus the South. Everybody calls me ma'am. <laughs> That's right. South. And, and there's just a, a different... Um, I don't want to say more casual because that's not really the proper word, but there is a different way that that those in the South react to to things, and also how they um, how they handle things. Uh, there is, yeah. Life seems to be a little slower in the South. There is, the yes. <laughs> yeah, no. That I think the. the there is a slowness to the pace, um, but at the same time, it's it's not. Um, uh, yes, there's obviously in the summer months, you 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 try not to move very quickly at all, <laughs> uh, and you do things outside during a certain time of the day. Um, but I mean, you can you can live as fast a paced life as you would like. Uh, you can you know Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, large cities, uh, Austin, mm-hmm. Dallas, large cities. Um, but yes, there is a there's more of a reverence or a respect for simply um, 
letting things happen as opposed to sort of forcing things to happen. And there is, I know what you're saying. It's not, it's not that things are casual because at the same, at the same level that there's a casualness to the South, there's also um, more traditions and manners. Yes. Um, yes. And for instance, okay, I was raised in the South. And, and so I was always, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And I remember traveling to another part of the country and I held the door for a woman. And so I'd always done that. My father did that. I was raised to hold a door for a woman. It was a sign of respect. And this particular woman was greatly offended that I held the door for her as if she was somehow incapable of opening the door herself. And, you know, so um, it, it is it is different. Um, but I, I, I think uh, in a lot of respects, um, you know, it's, um, you know, you um, it's nice. It's fun. We enjoy it. Yes. Yes. And so does that Southern tone, is that because you're acclimated to it, is that easy to weave into the stories versus trying to come up with a whole different way of, of showing a character? Absolutely. When I started this process of becoming a writer, um, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I read a lot of books on how to write books. I read a lot of blogs on how to write books. You know, I was a finance major in college. I, I hadn't had an English class since probably my sophomore year of college. Everything else <laughs> after that was, it was business courses. But I've always read. And I, I went to law school. I was a lawyer for about two years. So my writing skills were honed at law school. And then in my business career, I was always writing. So I, I had to learn an economy of words. I had to learn to say what I meant and meant what I said in as few words as possible. So the actual task of writing, when I sat down to, to take a shot at writing a book, that wasn't necessarily foreign. But the idea of storytelling certainly was. And so as I'm going through this process and trying to come up with storylines, you know, I came back to some advice that I had picked up from a number of um, articles and books, and that was write what you know. So absolutely, if I'm going to sit down and write a book, um, and in my book, we have two boys and two parents, and the boys are 18 and 13. Well, I grew up in the South. I was born in 1963. My book takes place in the 70s in Charleston. I knew what it was like. If I had tried to write a, a story of a young boy growing up in, say, uh, Moscow, uh, you know, where would I start? It would right. have been all research. And, there, and, and it was um, writing your first, writing a book is hard enough. Writing your first book is really hard enough. So I tried to at least stick with the subject matter that I felt I could give voice to. And so right. writing a book based in the South um, was um, at least I didn't didn't make it easier, but it was it was I was comfortable with the subject matter. You know, and I like that advice too. If you're going to start writing, and you know, for you, writing as an attorney or a lawyer, your the whole process is much different. Like you said, it's it's to the point. No fluff, no thrills, no. It's here's the facts. <laughs> And now you're writing the fluff and, and trying to, you know, embellish a story and so forth. So that must have been an interesting switching of gears for you. Oh, absolutely. It was. Um, I had, as you prefaced at the beginning, a 30 year career in the small business world. And I, by the time I had finished with that career or those careers, you know, I could go to my desk in the morning and I could look across it and I could say, okay, that's going to take me 40 minutes. That's an hour and a half. That's 10 minutes. That's 12. You know, I, I, I knew how long by and large things were going to take. So it was, it, it was fairly easy to set up and manage your day, barring the unforeseen disaster. Things always happen. Okay. But, but I, I, I knew what a day would be like. Well, I did not sat down to write a book. And I had no idea how long, you know, it just, everything was new. Everything was brand new. And, and, and so everything was out of my comfort zone because I didn't have any clue as to how to start and where I was going. Um, and so, yeah, it was an entirely different process, uh, creating characters, creating plots, having them work together together. 
Um, and, you know, writing it in such a way that you hope people enjoyed the dialogue, enjoyed the wordsmithing. Uh, it was it was an entirely different experience than, say, writing a memorandum of understanding between you and a whoever. So then the question that first popped into my mind was, so were you what is considered a pantser where you sit down and you just write? And it's, you know, by the seat of your pants. Uh, I want to say it was Stephen King or it was a well-known author who coined that phrase, pantser. Right. Or did you have gen- a generic outline that you started off with? This is where I want to go with so-and-so and so-and-so. And this is the plot. And, oh, here's a twist I'd like to see. Or did it just kind of all unfold? Um, I would say I was probably, uh, you know, 90 80 to 90% pantser, and the rest of it was an attempt to put some sort of structure in place. <laughs> uh, and the structure is essential. You have to have character arc. You have to right. build tension. You have So it's not as if you can just write aimlessly and have people enjoy what you're writing. But yes, I was, um, I, I was a pantser. I still am. Um, I just finished my second book. It'll be out in May. And I would say I was probably more, you know, maybe 70% pantser and 30% um, planner. Um, But still at the end of the day, the story comes out of the end of my pen, so to speak, as Mm -hmm. I'm writing it. And when I first sat down to start this book, uh, so my wife and I, we live in Charleston now. We used to live in Phoenix, Arizona. And we were in the process of making this transition. And we had a very small house here, you know, 1,800 square feet, no room for an office. There was a kitchen table. That wasn't going to work. But there was a beautiful library about a five-minute walk. So I would walk to this library and, and set up. So day one, I walk up there. I've got a stack of legal pads. I had assembled all these notes on ideas and you know, queued up my laptop, signed on to the internet, and I'm ready to go. And I, I'm literally staring at a blank page, and I had no idea what I was doing. I typed, and I was just, it was just, it was disaster. Well, about two days later, we were having dinner with a new couple. So we were anxious to meet people in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Well, they were a bit older than us, and they were retired. And, and uh, so the gentleman asked me, you know, Paul, what are you, are you still working, or what do you do, et cetera? I had told no one other than my wife that I was trying to write a book because I was still doing some consulting. I was still had a, a foot or two in the, you know, quote, traditional business world. So he was a safe person to talk to. Well, as it turns out, he had had a long career as a film editor in Hollywood. So he knew a bit about storytelling. Yes, he and does. Like, <laughs> yes, he does. He was like, Paul, tell me about your story. So I'm stumbling along with a few ideas. And he gave me the piece of advice that I have still lived by. And he said, stop trying to write a book. You'll never write it from beginning to end. He said, just write. Just write a scene. Just write scenes and piece it together later. So I went back to the library the next day. I sat down and I, I just started writing a scene. And, and, and I kept writing and it worked. And after about a week, I had about 10,000 words and they were pretty good. And my, the opening chapter of my book is that very first scene that I wrote. That's, it was reworded. It was, it was uh, edited a lot, but that was the basic <laughs> scene. And, and to this day, when I get stuck, that's what I do. I just start typing. I just start. And by the time I get to the second paragraph, there's a, there, there's a method to it. And um, the ending of my new book, I had no idea how it was going to end. I had a, a glimpse of an idea of how mm-hmm. it was going to end, but I did not know exactly. And I'm, I'm, I know that there was a character or two I had to sort of wrap up and answer some questions. And, and literally the ending showed itself to me about a paragraph before I got to it. I mean, it really was that way. So I'm, I am by and large, I try to understand who my characters are and how they would react if this happened to them. And if I, if I, can, if I can stay in that place, then I find that, that the story will, that the characters will act in character uh, and the story plays out. Interesting. I like that it <laughs> didn't show. You know, if it surprises the writer, it surprises the audience. I hope so. Because yeah. if you're not anticipating it, 
there's a good chance they're not going to either. That is so, correct. Yes, so. I think. Yeah. So um, I am working on book three up here. And by June, <laughs> I need to start um, working on it, you know, right here on paper. Uh, and again, it's this sort of high 30,000 foot ideas of what I, where I want the characters to be. And in general, what I want to happen. And then we'll, we'll start, you know, drilling down. Um, and that's where a lot more research will come in. And then we start, then I start typing scenes that I know need to happen. And then, then we sort of, you know, piece them together. So now going back to the fact that you're, you know, you're business-minded, that that's, you know, one part of the brain and, and creative writing is a whole different ball of wax. So at what point did, I mean, is it always something you wanted to do was to write a book or when did you decide that, you know, I'm going to write a thriller? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, see, I, I might I might take issue with you on business side versus creative side i get it yes you know that we have right brain left brain and different personality types i I understand all that but i believe that people in the business world are underappreciated for being creative for solving a problem i mean obviously if you can paint and you can sculpt and sing and play an instrument we typically see those people as being creative but if you if you go out to your shop and you say, hey, we've got to solve this problem. We only have this much money to spend on it. I need some ideas. And they come back with really creative solutions to a problem. They're creative. It's mm-hmm. just not necessarily how we perceive creative people. And I, I, I think that's unfortunate. I've met a lot of very creative people who had no real formal education, but if you gave them an assignment and you put them out there with the metalworking equipment, they could do some extraordinary things. Uh, but directly to answer your question, um, I was burned out as a businessman. Um, I had started a few businesses and, and um, a bit of a workaholic tendency in me. My wife and I, we had just become empty nesters. And so she was really happy when I told her that I was not up for trying to start another business, but I was too young to retire. And so I went into the consulting world and, and I enjoyed that, but it, it, it was not uh, fulfilling. I couldn't see myself doing it for another, you know, 20, 30 years. So, um, you know, over the, over the course of our lives, we've all read books, some great, some so-so, some not so good. And so I would finish a book and I'd go, wow, that was fantastic. Or I finish a book and I'd go, eh, I could have done that. And so, you know, you talk to your spouse a little differently than you might talk to other people. And so my wife said, you know, you've been talking about how you thought you could write a book. You know, why don't you either do it or move on? So I said, fine, I'll, I'll do it. So I was between consulting gigs And this is when this whole process got started. And I found that I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I found it to be, I knew it was going to be hard, but I found that it was even harder than I thought it was going to be. But it was extremely satisfying. It satisfied a creative desire, which I've always enjoyed product design and developing new businesses. So there was that, that creative desire was satisfied. But then once you finish it, you have to figure out how to sell the book and then you can get published. And so that put me back into, you know, what might be my traditional comfort zone was trying to figure out sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so um, I find that um, I haven't retired. I just no longer have um, employees to worry about or shareholders or bankers or vendors or creditors or any of that. So that's um, that's nice to be relieved of some of those burdens, but, um, the, you know, so it was, it was, um, it's definitely des- satisfies a, des- a creative desire, but it also keeps me plenty busy doing all the things one needs to do to promote a book. So the advantage is the fact that you're used to promoting a business and I'm, and I'm, as you're talking, I'm seeing how that has been a, an advantage for you versus someone who's not been the entrepreneur or, um, you know, hasn't been out there. And I guess I'm, I'm losing the question 
or maybe there's not really a question other than the observation that for you having been the business owner that has been out there, you know, trying to get the pitching for investors and so forth, that you're used to saying, okay, I got this product, aka I have this book, you know. Yeah, and- yeah I'd say there were some definite advantages and there were some similarities and differences. Um, you know, I think having had a career as an entrepreneur, that set me up so that I wasn't afraid to try things. So I learned the things that need to be done. I go, okay, I have to figure this out. I have to figure that out. So I'd had experience, you know, jumping into new things and figuring them out. So I was, I wasn't intimidated by that, but I'd say the couple of key differences. One is in my business life, I always promoted a product or a service and I had employees and folks that helped. And so the product and the service is what I was promoting. Right. Um, well, now I'm selling a book. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned, and I have a, a team that I've been very fortunate to have found of uh, younger folks who understand social media, and they understand um, uh, Facebook advertising and, and uh, PR. Um, and they said, well, Paul, you have to to promote yourself. You're a brand. You have to promote yourself. Well, I find this to be a bit uncomfortable. Promoting oneself, I find that that's brand new. That I've I've never really done that before. So that that's new. And it I would say it doesn't necessarily come easily or naturally. Uh, to some extent, it just might be, you know, our generation, our age, social media is something that the younger folks, you know, they're perfectly at home in it. It's still a bit um, different. Um, but I, I see how it works. Yeah, I understand. Okay. I get it. Um, but promoting myself, that's been a little bit different. The other difference is despite the fact that the publishing business is as old as it is, it's hard to figure out. It It is. is really hard to figure out and it's frustrating. It's, it's very frustrating. And so I'm self published. Uh, would I like to be picked up by one of the big five publishers? Absolutely. But it's exceedingly difficult. I think there's a fair amount. Of, um, there's a bit of luck involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't mean that to discredit those who, who have publishing contracts. You know, good for you. That's great. But I look at it and I think it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure how I could get to that point. And then there's the smaller publishers and you try to figure that out. So, it's it's a very difficult process to figure out, really uh, and I'm not is. saying yeah, I'm not saying I've necessarily figured it out. I've I've found something that I think is working, but um, I sp- I spend a fair amount of time trying to figure out ways to promote the book and do so in such a way that you know your revenues exceed your expenses, and um, that's a full time job, and it's in and of itself. <laughs> Yes. And I, and every, every writer out there is going, Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks yes. for acknowledging that. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, writing the book is, uh, you know, and again, writing a book is hard. Writing the book is, the, is at some level, it's the easy part because you control the process. It's you and your pen and paper, you and your typewriter, laptop, whatever, however it is we do these uh, and you can control the, re- this we have control over. But the minute we have to step out and convince somebody else to put this book in their store or to lay down $8.95 for the Kindle or $18.95 for the paper, I mean, now you're asking, and, and it's, it, that's difficult. That's, that's beyond your control. Right, right. And that's where having the experience as an entrepreneur, you, you have that baseline knowledge of knowing, okay, this is, you know, the profit loss, you know, all of that, the balance sheet, you understand the balance sheet. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. So, um, and, and I wanted to go back to um, when I said about, because you, you um, pointed out something that I said, and it is an incorrect 
wording, which is right brain, left brain, you know, those that have more of the analytical um, versus those that are more on the creative side. And I wanted to acknowledge that you are very right. I know some very creative people who are, you know, in just give them a math problem. They're there, they're doing it. Um, And it is, there is no black and white on it. It's all gray matter because everybody is creative at one way or another. A hundred percent. And I I think I, I agree. Everyone is creative. I don't think most people give themselves credit for it. I think oh, most, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when when I was hiring, when I was in running businesses, when I was hiring, um, if I had two candidates, they all and they both appeared to be, you know, equally qualified, experienced, etc. If I had a hint that one of them was creative, I would lean towards that person because it's easier to find people that'll do tasks. And there's a lot of, and, and I'm not saying that's not important. There are times when you just have to plow through tasks. Every job's got its task-centered aspect to it. Right, right. If you can find those people that are creative, um, there's, there's, there's just something that's more um, hopeful and promising about a creative solution to a problem than, you know, doing the same thing again and again. Well, and yes, that's very true. And I want to acknowledge and appreciate the fact that you said that a lot of people don't realize or don't have the confidence in knowing that they're creative and they doubt it and they step back like no 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 I don't have any good ideas I no 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 I'm terrible at that when in fact all it is is a confidence thing where somebody had, you know, in, in second grade, a teacher told them that, you know, that picture you just, you know, that they drew was horrible. (laughs) I can't tell you how many creative people I've talked to that have said that, you know, oh, a teacher back in elementary school said that, you know, I was a lousy drawer. So I quit. (laughs) So I quit. So I believe, (laughs) so I believed him or her. Right. I believe that teacher. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. And yeah, and when people on the outside see our gifts and our strengths, oftentimes more so than we see them. So, <laughs> that's all. You know, I think that's also true. I, I, I believe that's also true. I believe that sometimes you, um, um, the things that we are gifted with to us seem easy. And mm-hmm. so when other people acknowledge it, you're like, what? Because it's if it comes easily to you, it's easier for you to underappreciate how other people may perceive that. Right, right. So then, um, let's go back to your writing. <laughs> so it sounds like you write on a schedule. If you, do you have like a weekly goal or a monthly goal that you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing? Yeah, I certainly try to. And it depends upon where I am in the process of writing the book. So as I said, I've I've just finished the second book and I'm beginning to think about the third book. So when I've got the book figured out, Mm -hmm. or at least the next section figured out, yes, I try to uh, be at my desk early in the morning and I try to write 1500 words a day. You know, that's just an arbitrary goal. I don't know. I, I, someone told me it was Hemingway who, who sort of came up with this. Oh, you have to write X words a day. I have no idea if that's true or not. But I, I think it's it's good. Now, there are those days when I barely crank out a thousand. There's days like, good grief, what a great day. I, I got 4,000 words today. So, you know, it's it's a goal, but it does keep you disciplined. So when I'm in the thick of writing the book, um, I, I can write a great deal, but there are, there are times when it's more of the research mode and at which point that's a very difficult thing to gauge because research is a fancy word for going down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, yes. you know, when you sit there and you write a book and people go, Oh, how long did, did it take you to write this? And you, well, you try to give them an answer. They don't, you know, like, Oh, and they go, well, you know, I go, well, yeah, but there were like, eight stories that went nowhere before this one 
you know, fell out. So there are rabbit trails or there's, you go, wow, this is really good. It has nothing to do with the first section. This is a whole separate book and you, and you, you put it away. So, um, you know, the, the first, so, you know, my goal over the next couple of months is to get my story idea, 30,000 foot view, subject matter, time frame, geography, characters, and then I will start doing uh, research, which frankly is a lot of just reading and note taking, mm-hmm. and and then and then I will you know hopefully be able to start putting pen to real paper uh, by the fall, and then okay. from there I will hopefully then be writing, you know, it's five days a week, six days a week, um, and then you know then you you get that first draft done, and then depending on what a draft means to you is a function of how much editing you have before you turn it over to a, you know, a professional editor who um, will be the first set of independent eyes to take a look at what you uh, hope is, hope, you know, hope is the beginning of a good book. Right. I think one of the most frustrating things, and again, I've, I've written two books. So I um, it's, there are people that have you know written, you know, 10, 12, 30 books. And so I, I, I say all that to preface is I've only written two, but, it's difficult when you don't get feedback, you know, so let's just say it takes you anywhere from, you know, 12 to 24 months to crank a book out. Mm-hmm. You have to wait all that time to get feedback unless you've got a circle of other writers or a spouse or, or an editor that, and, you know, um, and that, that's, um, that's difficult to have to wait that long. Yes, because you there is that question that resides, you know, just kind of like on the left shoulder that does this make sense? Or, right. you know, is this, is this plot realistic or am I way off base or yeah, you, there's, there's the questions or, you know, on, on the flip side, man, this is the greatest book right. ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then you get, then when you finally do get somebody to to take a look at it, and they're like, um, "Huh?" Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or they, you know, the again the flip side, like, "Oh wow, this is pretty cool." So then for you, was the editing process, you know, was that something where you you read through and you're like, "Wow, this was really good," or? whoa wait a minute where was i going with that yeah i'd say you know um roughly speaking then that i became confident that the book was going to have a you know chance of being well received when i finished it or as i was finishing it mm-hmm. because you you again i don't necessarily know you know i i um, i have big picture ideas um, I joke, I'm not necessarily who's going to win, uh, who's going to live and who's going to die until I get torn towards the end. You know, someone's got to die. Someone's got gets to live, you know, make good fiction. Um, so I don't always have those each little character figured out. And so I would say there's a fair amount of, of uncertainty that I, I carry until I get to the end. And then the ends of my, of, of the two books I've written, um, wrapped up in such a way that um, I felt the book was going to be pretty good. So when I finish a first draft, I like it to be really, I mean, barring spelling errors and typos and things like that, the story itself, I think is done. That that's okay. that's really where I want it to be. So when I, I look at, I look at my job as I want to I want to come up with a good story. Mm-hmm. And then I want to figure out how to tell the story. And then I want to be a good wordsmith. Now, with those three things, wordsmithing is something that we know we've talked about gifts. Mm-hmm. We've all read authors that we go, oh, good grief. That was such an amazing sentence or paragraph. And I could never do that. And I don't have a problem with saying that I'm never going to be able to play the piano like Mozart. I got no problem with that. There's only, you know, so there are people that have gifts and like one of my favorite authors is James Lee Burke and his wordsmithing is it's extraordinary. And I read it and I go, that's great. It would be a waste of my time to try to be that. I can't do that. But I think 
I can continue to develop storytelling techniques, not just coming up with stories that have twists and turns, but how the story is laid out. You know, when you switch to this character's, um, you know, story subplot, or do you flashback or do you, so all those different ways of sort of building tension and then hitting them with a twist and then a good ending. Um, I mean, I, that that's where I try to spend a lot of my time. So when I finish a draft, most of my editing is in the wordsmithing and, and in that, because I really focus on the story uh, and how, and how it's told. And then I go back and I work on descriptions of characters, scene descriptions, setting the scene, wordsmithing, and, and really polishing it. And that, that's where most of my editing comes in. So then going to the publishing aspect of your book, you had mentioned that you self-published. So did you consider, and I mean, seriously consider looking into like the hybrid publishing companies and, yes. and also the traditional route, like you said, the big five? Yes, yes, absolutely. When I, so when I, fin- when, when I finished my first book's manuscript, and then I, I sought out an editor and I went through a couple of platforms that are available online and I, I turned it over to an editor. Well, then you sit back and you wait for this editor to come back with their comments. So during that time, I said, well, now I got to figure out, you know, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I, um, I studied how to send out a query letter and, I, and I, I, I bought books on the list of all the agents in the country. And I Googled agents that would accept manuscripts. And I, I did what I thought I was supposed to do, what I learned to do. And that is to try to find an agent who might've represented an author who had written a book similar to yours. And, you know, I'm not going to go find an agent that specializes in young adult because my book's not young adult. Don't waste that person's time. Don't waste mine. So I tried to come with with a list of agents that I thought would be receptive. I sent out maybe two dozen letters and their websites and other information said, you know, be patient, wait eight weeks. I think I got back two no's and 22 or so non-responses. They just never responded, which I was told was typical. I never got a response back. And the, and the two no's were, you know, no, for whatever reason, so while I was waiting for all those letters, I then began to research smaller publishers that would accept a manuscript directly from the author. And again, I went through and I tried to find a publisher that, you know, was same genre that I was writing. And I approached maybe, you know, 15 to 20 of those. And I did, I got back about three yeses. Um, but while I was getting back those yeses, I spoke to a few other authors mm-hmm. and who had self-published or had gone with small publishers. And what I learned was that if you're working with a smaller publisher, um, you still are doing a great deal of the sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them will have a, a greater or lesser chance of getting your book into bookstores they all wanted to take over a year to get the book out. And some of them wanted to do major rewrites. And so while I was contemplating that, I was researching the hybrid publishers and self-publishing. And, you know, um, you know, I'm 59 now and I'm thinking, good grief, I don't have a year to wait to find out this book's any good. I'm, I'm anxious to go now. So I decided to self-publish right or wrong, that was the decision I made. So then I went with a hybrid publisher and, and I paid a small fee to get the cover design done. And the first, and they sent me a, a, you know, I spoke with someone for half an hour and they, they sent me a cover design. And I joked that it must've been for a book somebody else had written because I felt it really just missed. And I'm thinking, well, did I do a terrible job conveying with the story? But it, it just, so I went back to them and I said, I just don't think this is going to work. And we parted ways and, and I kind of went back to square one and I've Googled and found a woman online who had had a 30 plus year career in publishing and okay. she didn't know the answer. She knew who did know the answer. She explained a lot of, she removed a lot of the mystery. She introduced me to a cover designer. He was fantastic. 
love the cover he came up with. She introduced me and he did the layout. Then she introduced me to somebody else who helped me upload my files to Amazon and to Ingram. So she took away a lot of the mystery. She explained keywords and meta this and meta that. So I, I basically assembled a, a team of people that helped me do all the things that a publisher would do. So I got the book published. I got it up on Amazon. I got it up at Ingram Spark so that any bookstore, et cetera, could order it. So that's that was my route to publishing. Um, then, of course, you know you have to figure out how to sell it. My first web designer didn't really work out. My first PR person didn't really work out. But I found a new web designer and a new PR person that are working out very well. And so I, I um, you know, again, I basically learned how to sell and market it on the fly, you know, while mm. we were trying to promote it. So I feel like going out with book two, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm much farther along this time than where I was with book one, because we're doing all the things that I was told I should have done the first time. So I ended up um, self-publishing. I've continued to speak with other authors about this who are in a similar boat that I am, or maybe have published a few more books. And the basic challenge is, yes, a small publisher uh, gives you a little bit of credibility because you've been published. Mm-hmm. And there is still in some circles, um, self-publishing might carry a little stigma because it means you couldn't find a publisher. and. Yeah. So I, I that that's you know until Simon and Schuster comes and knocks on my door, that's where I am. It's trying to decide: do you go with a small publisher and take a lower royalty and still do a lot of sales and marketing yourself, or do you, you know, do extra work, do all do everything you need to do to get published, get a higher royalty, and still have to do a lot of sales and marketing yourself? And I don't know the answer. I don't know that there is one answer. I think I think each person has to decide for themselves um, what works for them. Agreed. I I very much agree with that. I have uh, several writer friends that have gone with a hybrid, and one person experienced uh, what you had said. Uh, like they wanted to completely rewrite the book and also the cover, the cover was completely off, off, uh, not even close to what they had anticipated. And you're frozen again. Are you there? (laughs) We're back. We're back. I don't know what's going on. It's, uh, we don't have TVs on here. You know, we're not, I have no idea. It has been snowing, so. So, yeah. So you said you're in the north, but that backdrop, where's that backdrop that I'm looking at? The lake. It's actually the Boardman River, and it's in Traverse City, Michigan. Very good. Yeah. It's uh, one of those spots that I like to visit when I go up there. It's a really peaceful park. It's... (laughs) <laughs> and so and uh, yeah uh I'm trying to think if i took that picture last fall or uh, it looks when... it looks a bit of it looks like the beginnings of fall yes it was either, i think it was last year that i took this picture so <laughs> it's because the room that i'm uh recording this in is under construction so i mean you'd see the backing of insulation yeah. <laughs> I hide that and other times in the summer months or uh, in the well other times uh, it would be the inside of my camper so so what I was uh, what I was saying was uh, and I don't know how much you heard uh, when the system froze up was that I've had a few people who have chosen the the hybrid route and you know some of some of the my writing friends have been happy with their hybrid publishing and then there's been a couple that were you know had the same concern about the cover like where where did this come from this isn't even close and and one uh gail had 
their editor want to completely redo the whole plot and 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 so forth and it was like no i'm not rewriting my book yeah <laughs> so i think so much of it is a matter of um properly setting expectations and you know we um you work so hard to write a book and you hope so much that that people will read it and and then financially you'd love to sell you know millions and millions of copies right and as i said that earlier, the publishing industry, it's, it's hard. It's difficult to figure out. So a lot of these hybrid sites will, will I think, over-promote. They'll say, you'll be able to sell into every store. Well, yes, that's true. If you get your files uploaded to Ingram, who is a distributor, mm-hmm. you'll be able to sell your book into almost any bookstore in the country. But that doesn't mean Ingram is going to go and call on them. You still need someone to go and convince the independent bookstore owner that if they put your book on a shelf, they're going to be able to sell it. Right. And that is the Achilles heel of self-publishing is um, a sales and marketing effort beyond online digital advertising. You can run Amazon ads. You can run Facebook ads. You can do all of the social media you want, join the Facebook groups and encourage your family and friends to tell their family and friends. But that, that carries you, you know, unless you just, um, you know, catch the wind in your sails and uh, wind up on somebody's, you know, national book club list, um, um, getting your book into bookstores. I believe these hybrid companies, they over promote their ability. Uh, They, 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 um, they don't create a proper expectation in the mind of a self-published author of what it's really going to take. And I think that's, I'm guessing that's where a lot of the disappointment can come from when they find out that they still have to go and knock on the door of each bookstore that ends up carrying their book. Very true. And it's not easy to get into bookstores. Um, A friend of mine Uh, And she was actually one of my writing teachers uh, years and years and years ago. Uh, She wrote a book series and we in, in Traverse city, Michigan, she, there's a a very large bookstore and she, you know, she worked with, she knew, (laughs) and here's the key. She knew the owners and she yet had to work very, very hard uh, to get her books in there. And, you know, she had to prove to them that her books would sell. Right. So even if you know a bookstore owner doesn't mean, you know, they might take, you know, a couple of books to give it a try, but right. they're also looking at how are you marketing? Yep. How, you know, they're looking at the whole, at sure, the whole thing because right. it's, it's a, it's a it's business. A Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a business decision. It's not a personal favor. No. They may they may love you and they, they may romanticize right along with you. Oh, you've written a book and that's great. Um, but they've got that, you know, those front tables as you walk in and they're going to put up the best sellers because they know that those will sell. And I don't right. fault them for that. Um, right. And so, you know, so it, it is, it, it's frustrating. You'll get a store to carry you and then they simply put it on the shelf in alphabetical order. So again, how do you drive someone to that shelf when they walk into the store? It's very difficult. Um, And I I don't, I'm not, I mean, the people who will tell you they have an answer, they have an answer, but that answer is a textbook answer. It doesn't, it's, it it doesn't necessarily solve the problem for you. Um, So, you know, if you, if you, um, so for instance, you know, my book has a nice beach cover. Mm-hmm. So I can go to Southern beach towns and I can walk into an independent bookstore and I can say, this is a book that a vacationer would probably be interested in They're, They want to know more about the area. They'll come in, they'll see it and they'll go, Oh, that looks like a beach read that works. Okay. That's not going to help me. If I walk into a store in Kansas city, they may go, we have a small section of Southern writers and you go over there and it's, it's Faulkner and, and I was like, well, that's not, that's not really me, you know? <laughs> uh, so 
a lot of it is just, again, knowing where you have a decent possibility of selling that book. Um, and we'd all love to think that everyone would love our book, but that's just not the case. So a lot of it is, you know, trying to be smart, judicious with your time. Just understand that um, uh, it's exceedingly difficult to, to make a living uh, selling books. So now with the pandemic, a lot of people who had time on their hands wrote books that is, and there was, I've heard this. yeah there's been a huge boom in uh online books and you know uh the especially like the kindle reader and you know yep. those online readers more so than the the physical books and so that adds to your trying to Which, get yourself out right. there you know the how haste, do you make yourself yeah the haystack just got bigger yeah. If you're a needle in a haystack, the haystack just got bigger. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes. yes, it did. But the rewards of publishing a book is there's nothing that feels, you know, if you're a writer and you get to the point where you publish your book, and even if you make just one sale and it's like yeah. your mother no, <laughs> or it your is. best friend, it still feels so good to have yeah. accomplished this goal. I mean, obviously, it, you want to sell more than to you know family. <laughs> no, it does. The the um uh, it was as you said, it was extremely satisfying. You know, I um I received some advanced reader copies of my second book uh, about a week or two ago, and I I'm sending them out to to re- to reviewers, but I'm also sending them out to some close family and friends, and it, it is an extraordinary sense of pride when you get that book in your hands and you're like, I did this. So, yeah, I'm not, I, I, um, I guess my message to new authors would be, uh, be realistic, but don't, you know, um, you know, it's hard to, I, I, I don't want to ever shit on anybody, but if your goal of doing this is to, is to make money, I'm not saying that's, that's a great goal, but you got to be realistic. Um, and one of the things I've been told, it makes sense to me. And that is if you're if you're a self-published author, or frankly any author, but more so if you're self-published, you probably don't have much expectation of making too much money at it unless until you're into maybe your third or fourth book. So if you run an ad and you drive someone to either your your own personal web page or to your your place at Barnes and Noble or your Amazon page, they're gonna see one book. And they may buy it, they may read it, and then they're like, oh, okay, now they have to wait. But if you if you if you drive a person to your page and there are say three or four books and and, and if they're in a series that's mm-hmm. you know, marketing very good three or four books and they read it and they go I really like that book they're going to go back and buy another one right. so the after you get it, it becomes like an annuity you get three or four books you get a reader base you get um, faster sales sooner because they're looking for your next book which makes you rise up the algorithm charts faster when you get fast sales. So all these things sort of build momentum. So uh, I'd say patience um, and keeping your eye on the long wall are important. If um, uh, in order, in order to build this into um, either an expensive hobby or a career. (laughs) Expensive hobby. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Out of curiosity, because you have, you have that radio voice. Are you going to be doing audiobooks and doing your own or? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I have a lot, <laughs> I have a lot of experience public speaking. So yes, actually my secret other career would be to be a, a color announcer for college sports. So I would love to be the voice of somebody. Um, no, I, my book is available on audiobook, but there's a difference between having a good voice and being able to do characters. And you really need a trained actor, actress. Um, and that even that becomes a challenge. You know, do you have one male voice that does all the voices? Do you have one female voice that does all the voices? Um, of, uh, the financial side would dictate you find one voice. And actually, I think mo- it's rare to find a book that's done by more than one person. Um, it, it's, it, they're out there, mm-hmm. but most books are just one person. And so, um, it, I don't know that it would have been any cheaper if I had done it myself, cause I would have had to have paid for studio time. 
or yes. if I, because there's no way I can create a quiet enough environment where I live and all the countless hours I would have spent editing it myself and trying to figure all that out. So uh, there are some good platforms out there online you can go to and you can interview and listen to the um, the narrators and and they're actors. They have that, they can do accents. So no, I, I will never do my own audio book, but I did do an <laughs> audio book and they're growing in popularity. Personally, I don't like listening to books on, I mean, I've done it in a car. They almost put me to sleep because it's just, I mean, you know, which is soothing. a thing. Yeah, it's, they can be soothing. I, I don't, mm-hmm. They don't work for me, but they're growing in popularity. So I will be doing an audio book for my, my, uh, my next book as well. Yes, it's, it's kind of like there's the people, me, I have to have the physical book. I, there's just something about holding it, reading it, you know, I, I have, you know, the, the online reader and I have books there that I've read a couple of pages. I've shut the thing off and I don't pick it back up. Yeah. You forget about it. Yeah. And then, and then the uh, audio, you know, doing the audio version of the books to me, that would be you know, like you said, it would put you to sleep. That would be something that I would start and I would be yeah. out within 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no, not because I, it's boring. It's just, no, no, it's, it's the format, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like listening to, there's an app out there. I think calm is the name of the app and it has like bedtime stories. Yeah. You yeah. can have all these different people read you a bedtime story and that would be exactly what would happen is yeah. <laughs> it would, I would get 10 minutes out and that would be it. Good night, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a, a pearl of wisdom you would love to, I, I guess I really don't even need to ask that question yeah. because this has been a very educational conversation and you have shared a lot of wisdom, but is there something that you would like to share? Yeah, no. Um, it, it, I got it from my father and it was just basically, um, don't be afraid. Um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to try something. And because the worst thing that you could find out is that you weren't, that you didn't enjoy doing it. And if you enjoy doing it, you know, don't be afraid. So uh, I was at a point in my life where I was, I just, I couldn't really go on doing what I was doing. And it was, it was, a, it was kind of a big leap. So yeah, that's, you know, don't be afraid. Life is too wonderful to go around. Um, I'm not suggesting leap out of an airplane without a parachute, but by and <laughs> no. large, uh, life was, um, was meant to be lived and um, fear can handicap us from doing a lot of things. So that would be my advice to anybody who, wanted to know what I thought about this and that, that uh, would be, uh, don't be afraid. I love that. So where can people find you on that world, yeah. worldwide yeah. internet? Yeah, worldwide <laughs> web, right. The, um, well, it's just um, pauladaway.com. And my last name is spelled A-T-T-A-W-A-Y. So pauladaway.com, um, where you can buy my first book. Um, I've started a newsletter because in the world of self-publishing, you have to build up a fan base. So I write, I blog about Charleston, South Carolina, where I currently live. Um, I, a little bit of history tied into today. I, I blog about um, the writing life, as people like to call it. Mm-hmm. And I blog about, you know, from my worldview, you know, just kind of, you know, my take on things, not political no one needs more no one needs more of that these days, but it's just sort of my worldview. So um, that's what people can. And then, you know, if I'm in the area or if you're in my area where I might be appearing at a book signing, hallelujah, COVID is behind us. And so those doors are being reopened. Yes. Um, and so I've got a couple of book signings. I'm at a book festival in North Carolina coming up in about a month. So it's nice. But, you know, my book came out during the middle of COVID and it was was maddening absolutely maddening you know you couldn't go in any place you couldn't do anything so really looking forward to having a different a different experience um promoting the second book so pauladaway.com awesome thank you thank you so much for all of your wisdom thank you for uh this entertaining and very educational conversation i appreciate your time 
Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it too. Have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this educational and entertaining conversation with Paul Attaway. You will find the show notes page to this episode at pen2paperpress.com backslash podcast and select the show notes page for this episode. When you follow the Pen to Paper Press podcast on your favorite app and rate the individual episodes, you help to increase the rankings of this podcast. Other ways to show your support is to share your favorite episodes on social media, and this will expand our reach to a larger audience. Your support is greatly appreciated. I Truly, I can't thank you enough. If you would like to receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the Pen to Paper Press newsletter and follow the Pen to Paper Press podcast on social media. Take care, and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Your words have power. Your story matters. Bye for now.